The last thing each day is to set an alarm for the first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR. Well, Renee, Groundhog's Day kind of uh, snuck up on us this year, hasn't I it? I know. It's, uh, everything seems like it's coming quickly, faster than usual. Oh, I feel the opposite. I feel like January took forever. I, I thought I just figured it'd be January for the rest of our lives. Oh, really? I was going with yeah. the other because I have a lot of uh, <clears throat> neighbors that still haven't taken their Christmas lights down. So they're probably <laughs> confused that it's February. Anyway, proceed. No, over. You know what? You're right. I, I, I'm noticing that more this year. And actually during COVID, I, I was actually four people leaving their Christmas lights up sure. late into the year. But uh, uh, let's, you know, let, let's get on the ball, people. Right. Um, did it did it seem like January it was just nothing but wet, sloppy? Ugh. That's an accurate description. Wet, sloppy? Ugh. Yeah, I think that's a meteorological term. Must be. Uh, well, there's something to that because Metro Detroit received 5.26 inches of precipitation, which is a new record for wettest January ever. And they must they must not take like actual inches of snow into account because. You, you know, we always get more than five inches of snow uh, right. in January. But, um, um, yeah, maybe there's some kind of conversion chart or something. Yeah, but... I forget how it works. Like one inch of snow is equivalent to X amount of rain, how they figure that out. Yeah, but I figure January, I declare January December's revenge because it lulled us into this little false sense of security. And then it just then it just it made up for lost time. For yeah, lack of better it word. still wasn't bad, though, because we still haven't gotten that really big snowfall. We've avoided yeah, I, that. Yeah, and I think I, I think the reason we beat this record is because we got a lot of rain and ice and, and non-frozen or partially frozen precip. Well, I was reading like on January 12th alone, 4.6 inches of precipitation. Ugh. I remember Gross. that day. It was nasty. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a different kind of mess. And, uh, you, you know, everyone everyone looks to the groundhog to try to determine how long winter is going to be. But there's actually a, a real scientific indicator out there. It's the ice cover on the Great Lakes. Huh. And and ice cover on the Great Lakes was, was well down. Like in January uh, until like mid-January, it was normal. Then it just plummeted. So scientists, and I don't know, we'll have to check with the groundhog later, but scientists believe that this this is a sign that there will be an early spring because the ice will melt and then that'll uh, keep the atmosphere less cold. And and so hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, six weeks of six more weeks of winter. That's early here in Michigan. Our winters go until May, but maybe that's a good sign. <laughs> right. And that'll that'll make the lake levels lower as well, since we didn't get that big ice cap this year. We'll eventually get it back, though, through Ray. I mean, not right away, but yeah, I mean, right, it, it'll I'm, take the season to get it back. But boaters, I know yeah. that's a concern every year. What's the lake levels going to be like this year? Yeah, check on your canals, everybody. Right. All right. So yesterday, the uh, prosecution rested in the Jennifer Crumley manslaughter trial and uh, another eventful day in court out in Pontiac. Yep. First person to take the stand was Timothy Willis. He's a detective lieutenant with the Oakland County Sheriff's Office. He talked about his investigation and arriving on the scene during the shooting. He also read through autopsy protocols for the four students who were killed. Uh, Willis also opened up the shooter's journal that was found in his backpack, reading through different pages, including one that said, my parents won't listen to me about help or therapist, as well as the shooter's intention to get a handgun and his desire to shoot up the school. 
Uh, they also played surveillance video inside the school during the shooting. There was a debate as the defense attempted to impeach the shooter's statements through the officer with attorney Shannon Smith referencing the fact that she could not call the shooter as a witness because case law says that a witness is not allowed to be put in front of a jury if they plan to plead the Fifth Amendment. And the shooter's attorneys have indicated that the shooter will plead the Fifth. Uh, Crumbly took the stand in her own defense, testifying for more than two hours in defense Questions focused on rebuting the prosecutor's arguments that Crumbly was not focused on her son. She's testified that they played games as a family. They'd spend time together. They included pictures from Facebook that showed family vacations. And she testified that her affair did not take away from time of her being a mother. She also told the court that her husband was responsible for storing the gun. And then while on the stand, she went on to say, of course, I look back at all uh, that happened. I've asked myself if I would have done anything differently and I wouldn't have, she said. She added that she would have changed what happened if she could have, saying, I wish that he would have killed us instead. Yeah, and I'm sorry, go ahead, Renee. No, I was just going to say then there was more text messages between her and the shooter that were shown in court. Uh, The shooter told his mother that he was seeing things, including demons. She said she didn't think much of that because the year prior, he would pull pranks and thought that they lived in a haunted house. (laughs) Uh, Smith asked Crumbly about her son's mental health, including if she thought that he needed treatment. She denied that her son asked for it. So... So, yeah, and I remember these journal entries from the Miller hearing, and, and I think maybe more were, were shown yesterday in court as the uh, prosecution were, were making their final arguments. And, uh, again, a chilling reminder of, of just what was going on in this young man's mind. And at times it was almost like he scripted out what was going to happen right down to going to jail for the rest of his life. And, and they found this journal on the floor in the bathroom um, near near one of the uh, young students he killed. So he obviously wanted people to find it. And he was writing from the back to the front, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that was to give it more of a, I don't know, more more of a cryptic, more of an unsettling feel. I but, don't know. You know, in these journal entries, the shooter wrote specifically that he asked his parents for help and they would not help him. Um, and... Uh, Lieutenant Tim Willis of the Oakland County Sheriff's Department, he he investigated the shooting and and he said that he'd imagine um, the Crumbly parents would face murder charges if there was any evidence they'd seen this journal and did nothing uh, to do it. So the question then, is, did they see it? Right. And, 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 and I don't know how they'd be able to prove that in court. Right. But then you said, you know, Jennifer Crumbly got on the stand and she was asked about those bizarre text messages about ghosts and demons in the house. And she said that he was just messing around, but maybe he wasn't right. I mean, look no further than those journal entries. Sure. Uh, she might have thought he was joking around, but maybe that was the first sign that he needed help. If my kid and I'm not a parent, but I am a step parent. If my kid said to me, hey, I'm seeing things. And, and you have to, you know, take that into account of other actions that have to be glaringly obvious with him as we're learning. You take right. that serious. Right. Because at a certain point, you're like, OK, he's having hallucinations. And right. If, if he's having if he's having these dark hallucinations, what kind of dark thoughts is he having? And then what could that lead to? Maybe we should look into this. Yeah. So um, I believe you said that uh, the. Defense will, I'm sorry, the prosecution will cross-examine Jennifer Crumbly today. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll be quite a tense, dramatic day in court. And um, we'll have the, the weekend to digest it, and we'll discuss it on Monday. 
Uh, getting you caught up on what else is happening, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin apologized publicly for keeping his prostate cancer surgery and trip to the ER where he spent a number of weeks in the hospital secret from the president and most of the Pentagon yesterday. President Biden, he signed an executive order yesterday sanctioning four Israeli settlers in the West Bank who engaged in violence. Pres- uh, the order will target, quote, those engaged in actions that include the directing or participating in acts or threats of violence against civilians. President Biden also hopes to ease tensions over a widening war in the Mideast. Um, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen because the U.S. military yesterday destroyed 10 drones and a group of in a ground control station belonging to Iranian back to the rebels in Yemen yesterday as an act of self-defense because the targets presented an imminent threat to merchant vessels and Navy ships in the Red Sea. Of course, um, a, a U.S. war ship in the Red Sea was almost hit by a, a, a Houthi rebel uh, missile the other day. And Joe Biden, the UAW uh, hosted President Biden yesterday in an informal Q&A with union rank and file at a union hall um, a week after gaining their endorsement. But the welcome wasn't warm from everyone with about 150 pro-Palestinian protesters demonstrating outside. Last week, if you remember, Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud and other local Muslim leaders refused to meet with President Biden over his refusal to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, Wednesday night, there was a large rally held inside forts in high school protesting President Biden's visit. And uh, um, Renee, I think Joe Biden is in real trouble here because although Donald Trump is deemed unelectable because he's quite unlikable uh, to to many voters and he's very inflammatory, uh, Joe Biden is having large voter blocks that he can normally depend on. Uh, just just refusing to vote, not even not even saying they're going to vote for someone else, just refusing the vote, the Muslim vote. Yeah. I know the black vote is is unhappy with them and there's very little enthusiasm young, among young voters. So this could be very bad for his very uh, bad election effort. And, and here's the other thing, Renee, not 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 all union members are behind Joe Biden. I know that Sean Fain has endorsed him and, and, and the union has officially endorsed him, but that doesn't mean everybody in the UAW is going to vote for Biden. Oh, no. I was watching Channel 4 yesterday and they interviewed quite a few people that are still Trump. Yeah. And so I don't know if the Democrats are seeing this and saying, OK, we got to run someone else or we're going to get a second term of Donald Trump. They got to figure something out fast. Mm-hmm. It's first thing. Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. We've been talking about it this week. AI is already running amok from the fake Joe Biden robocalls in New Hampshire during the primary to these leaked explicit photos of celebrities like Taylor Swift. And, um, you know, on Capitol Hill, they're trying to play catch up when it comes to laws dealing pertaining to social media and putting children in danger. Uh, but it does seem like the FCC is trying to get out in front of this AI thing, Renee. Yeah, yesterday, or excuse me, Wednesday, the FCC said that it was working to make AI cloned voice calls illegal. The Telephone Consumer Protection Act already bars robocalls, but that left some wiggle room on whether that included AI cloned voices. So this proposed FCC rule would change that. And this, you know, of course, after what happened in New Hampshire with President Biden, I think that's what really kicked this into high gear. Uh, The FCC's proposed rule would make it easier to go after people who use robocalls with AI clone voices in particular. Yeah, and I think they're, I I think I mean, the FCC only has jurisdiction over so much, but I think that there needs to be laws 
with stiff, severe penalties that make it illegal for you to AI clone anybody's likeness yep. against their uh, w- without their consent. Sure. Because it could be very, very damaging. Absolutely. Uh, you, could, you could be, quote unquote, photographed doing anything someone wants to make you do. You could be um, audio recorded saying anything anyone wants you to say. And at a certain point, it's going to be very tough to distinguish between AI and real. And a lot of people uh, can have lives and reputations ruined pretty easily uh, through no fault of their own. And as you and I discussed before, Mike, it's going to get to the point where it's going to be some simple app on your phone that the Mm -hmm. average consumer is going to be able to do these things. Well, then on top of that, you know, we've been talking about the Jennifer Crumbly trial um, all week. We've been following Donald Trump's legal uh, struggles for since the show began. And, and eventually it's going to wreak havoc on our judicial and, and, and criminal court system sure. because, you know, evidence won't be evidence. Now someone can just use the use the defense oh that's not me that's that that's an ai fake right and now it, there's even more burden on the prosecution to prove that you know not only is this person guilty not only is this evidence enough to convict them but you also have to convince people that the evidence is actual evidence and not not something fake or it could go against them <laughs> you know yeah you could be fault you're right you could be falsely put away right. so I mean, this is a can of worms. This is a Pandora's box that it's already opened. And, you know, we haven't even seen the full consequences of this yet. So no, I'm not normally one to applaud the FCC, Renee, you know, because I'm such a bad boy here on the radio. <laughs> You're such a rebel. <laughs> but I, I'm glad the FCC is trying to get out in front of this. And I think once uh, Congress figures out, you know, these 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 social media laws, uh, with with protecting kids, they need to start working on AI like yesterday. Yep. But hey, you, you know who you know who is cracking down? Uh, <laughs> Netflix on password sharing, and there's more streaming services that are making sure that uh, we can't watch our favorite shows for free anymore. Yeah, the latest is Hulu, and that includes Disney Plus and ESPN because they're all under the same ownership with Disney. So that means no more mooching off of a family member's account for the platform's movies and shows if you're not under the same roof. So customers were alerted of the change via email in which the company said that it has made changes to its subscriber agreement. Hulu said in the updated agreement, unless otherwise permitted by your service tier, you may not share your subscription outside of your household. And household means the collection of devices associated with your primary personal residence that are used by the individuals who reside therein. The company said it may monitor account use and could limit or terminate service access at its discretion. So the terms of this agreement will take effect March 14th. Yeah, and, and look, I know, I know that password sharing is wrong, and that these companies they have to be able to operate too. And if you're using the service, you should you should be paying for it. And a lot of these streaming, uh, you know, Netflix, Hulu, all these streaming providers, they're losing their butt because no, they're, they're not. They're not losing well, their the, butts. They are losing their butt because they're creating so much content. Right. And so, you know, and and so I think they are operating at a loss. That being said, this is a real drag and it hasn't (laughs) only wrecked wrecked havoc on my own house, 
but my mother's house as well, because at this point, you know, between, between me, my mom and my sister and my, you know, members of my uh, immediate family yes. who, who all live in different, different places, different houses, we have, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, we have all of those between us. But at this point, we're not sure who's auto paying for which service. So, you know, if, if somebody gets kicked out and and you need to recover a password, the first mystery to solve is, OK, who's the one who's actually paying for this? You guys and need to write all of this down and have a shared document. We, you're right. We should. We should have like a Google Doc or right. something. And then the second and then the second mystery is, OK, what's the actual password? Right. Which is always, you know, the best part. Yeah. So so like I said, I know if I'm you know, if I'm if, if I'm being a good little law abiding citizen, I understand this. But uh, in reality, it's it's kind of a bummer. And and, and here's the thing, too. Um, you know, all these streamers, all these streamers and, and, and all these these companies like Peacock and 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 cbs you know everything used to be on either hulu or netflix right right so it used it used to be worth your money to kind of cut the cord because all the streaming content out there was on one of uh one of two services yep. well now it's all been fractured it's all been splintered off cbs is putting their stuff on paramount plus um you know there's a lot of cable stuff that's on hbo max NBC is putting its stuff on Peacock. And, and eventually the sports, pay- all the sports, you have to have subscription services now just to watch a flipping game. Right. So now cord cutting isn't even a bargain over cable. You might as well just go back to paying for cable because, you know, it, it's it's over $100 now if you want all these street, if you want all these streaming sites. And right. that's about what you were paying for cable. Yep. They're so. they're sitting back laughing. You'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> You know, because card cutting, cord cutting was kind of a new hip thing uh, about five, ten years ago. So I wonder if all the if all the early adopters now are going to go back to cable as yeah. the new hotness. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. So um, the Michigan Cannabis Regulatory Agency, they sent a reminder to licensees and talk about unintended consequences about properly disposing of unused product after a rash of people going through their dumpsters scoring free weed according to michigan cra all product that is considered waste must be rendered unusable and disposed of in a secured waste receptacle that doesn't seem to be happening because um you know an official government agency is putting out a reminder saying don't uh don't dumpster dive weed right exactly because you know they're saying it's not consumable because of what they do to it before they put it or what they should be doing it i should say uh before they put it into the dumpsters if it makes it out there they break it down by mixing it with vinegar cat litter sometimes cement you don't want that Sounds like a meth lab or it something. It does. That's, don't don't so be I smoking my, that. Right. So I guess my question is then, are, are people stealing this unusable weed and still trying to use it? Or are dispensaries just throwing stuff in the dumpster without you know, going through this protocol and people are getting away with legit free weed. Well, it says that the company is supposed to take a picture of the breakdown process and then submit it to the state. So it sounds like it's regulated to some extent. I yeah. think people are just, you know, thinking that, oh, I'm going to score some free weed. There's a whole dumpster diving TikTok. Did you know that? 
No, but I shouldn't be surprised because <laughs> there's a TikTok for everything. And, well, the one I stumbled upon was these um, beauty places like Ulta and Sephora. They'll pitch product testers that never got opened and things like that. And these women will go and dumpster dive for these high-end wow. beauty products. And Michael's craft stores, too. Women are nuts sometimes to score some free stuff. Hey, that was Renee saying that. Not me. No, it's fine. I'm just glad TikTok brought me to it. Obviously, it knows me that I would consider it. <laughs> there are so many, there are so many rabbit holes on TikTok. I do not want to go. And honestly, this this one's pretty tame. I mean, it's a little shocking, but there's uh, there, there's worse things that I've seen out on TikTok. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, there's a van life TikTok. So eventually. Eventually, dumpster diving is going to become something glamorous and only for rich kids. Right. I remember as a kid, you know, you didn't want to end up like Chris Farley living in a van down by the river. Actually, <laughs> sounds pretty good. Well, yeah. <laughs> because now you watch these these van life influencers on, on TikTok and, you know, their van costs more than my house. So right. something something that like when you were a kid, your teacher would be like, you better study or else you're going to end up living in a van. And, and now that's like something to aspire to. Right. Because exactly. It's, because it's sexy and glamorous now. All right. Speaking of sexy and glamorous, it's Groundhog Day and we got to take a quick break. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. We're heading into JR Morning. We're joined by Lloyd and Jamie in studio right now. Is Guy going to be along shortly, or is he, uh, is he off today? Celebrating no, Groundhog he's here. Day. He's doing some last-minute um, homework. Yep. Preparing. Oh, I see. Uh, you know what? The constant student. He's just cramming all the way up until the final. <laughs> he's taking a deep dive into Puxatawney Phil's life. Oh, God. <laughs> we do have a little cut, yes, from... <laughs> yeah. From Punxsutawney Phil or from, from Bill Murray? Because I got to say, Murray. yeah, perfect. At this point, when I think Groundhog's Day, no offense to Punxsutawney Phil, I I think of Bill Murray. I think Same. we should see if I think we should see if Bill Murray sees his shadow more so than Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. Just check in. Yeah, Bill, you, you see your uh, you, you see your shadow, and he goes, uh, definitely, definitely. No, that's Dustin Hoffman. Anyway, uh, let's move on because I'm, I'm speaking of Punxsutawney Phil. Um, Michigan has its own kind of Groundhog's Day tradition. Woody the Woodchuck out in Howell. I had no idea. Yeah, I only know and, this from working in local news. I've seen the videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, exactly. Have you ever met Woody the Woodchuck no. working in local news? Oh, that's about maybe maybe Nick can get him on the phone Isn't today. Is that a rite of passage for you guys to cover that stuff first? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is, I was going to say, is that something that you guys fight over going to cover, or <laughs> is it something that's just a sign that you roll your eyes about? I think that's <laughs> yeah. a sign. Yeah. yeah. So I I guess I, I I have done a little research, and I'm just going to go around the room. Who do you think is more accurate when um, predicting an early spring? Punxsutawney Phil, the, you know, the, the, the nationwide well-known groundhog or Michigan's own Woody the Woodchuck. Who's a girl, by the way? I, oh. I did hear this mentioned already, so I, I will let you uh, spill your research. Okay. Uh, Jamie, why don't you go first? Which one do I like better? No, which one do you think is more accurate? Oh, um, Punxsutawney Phil because there's more data. Yep. Okay. Lloyd? I agree with Jamie with that one, Punxsutawney. 
Renee, uh, which one do you think? I'm going to go against the grain and go with Woody, just because I feel like Punxsutawney Phil never gets it right. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And, and here's the thing. Six more weeks of winter would actually be early here in Michigan. True. Like, if 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 it started getting warm, warm in mid-March, that would be great, because our winters go till May. We're already five and a half degrees warmer than normal. Yeah. We, I mean, shadows aside, it, it's already It has not been a, a bad winter. Side. It really yeah. hasn't. Not yet. Well, I, I, you know, to Lloyd and Jamie's point, um, Punxsutawney Phil has a 39% accuracy rate. Woody the Woodchuck has a 70% success rate. Whoa. But I think, Whoa. But I think that too much uh, Punxsutawney. Punxsutawney. It's just too much hype with it. What, what <laughs> constitutes six more weeks of winter? What exactly you know, does that mean? You know, guy, I've been working with you so long. I knew you're going to ask that question. <laughs> so I looked into this. Um, so it says early spring means the majority of the days between Groundhog's Day and the spring equinox on March 40, uh, I'm sorry, March 20th features temperatures of 40 degrees or above. So wouldn't that mean just it, it's early spring for the next six weeks? It, this, it, this seems like it stops at six weeks and we could go right back into a deep freeze after March 20th after having a warm stretch. Well, it's happened before. Yeah. That's usually when yeah. we get those ice storms. I know. We'll get like two two days of seventy degrees, and then it's just like a deep freeze. Yeah. <laughs> what it probably means is we're going to see a lot more groundhog babies in my wife's garden earlier Uh-oh. this year. Yeah. Make sure you sprinkle the turmeric on all your uh, on, on all your uh, or the chili she, powder. She actually on all your crops. I think she had vials of coyote urine at one point that she was sprinkling. <laughs> I don't even want to know how what she obtained it. Wow. Are you in charge some... of collecting those? Yeah. Where does one Who, get that? You, you have seen coyotes who's in your running, neighborhood. Who's though? running behind the coyotes with a cup? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What nurse is assigned to that? So, Guy, would you say that you you and Gail have a coyote urine guy? Uh, no. I don't know. Apparently, you can buy this online. Get everything sure. else online. Yeah. <laughs> That's the bright. Yeah. yeah and, you know, you get your little cotton swabs and you kind of put yeah. it around the garden there and it's supposed to scare away the varmints. I'm going to have to see if Mike Rowe ever did a dirty jobs on that. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Well, right. well you, you know, next football season is going to seem like Groundhog's Day in a good way because um, Dan Quinn was the final NFL head coach hired by Washington, which means uh, not only do we get Ben Johnson back, but uh, we also get Aaron Glenn back. And, and so it almost feels like we get a do-over next season, yeah. doesn't it? It really it also does. Means, yeah. We don't get six more weeks of Bill Belichick either. No. Nope. Yeah, Bill, Bel- B- Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll left out in the cold. Oh, oh well. Ageism. You know what, Jamie, I agree. That's bad to say, but it is what it is. Most of these uh, coaches are young, very young. Well, and especially now, I mean, with, with these these analytics and, and how much, I mean, obviously Dan Campbell's a great example of this, but he's not the only one who's going forward on fourth down um, a lot more now instead of punting. I, I mean, just just in that respect, I mean, the game has changed significantly over the past season or two. So there there might be something to that. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I think you're going to see more coaches go forward on fourth down, just like in basketball. And now all they do is shoot three-pointers. Well, it's, it's, it's three point no game. different than what's happening in, in baseball. You've got to be more open-minded to yes. analytics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the analytics mm-hmm. have taken over. Yeah. 
who who knew that me never going uh never punting and always throwing the long bomb on fourth down in Madden I was onto yeah. something and I was staying with that <laughs> oh. and head you, coach in this era Are you taking strategic guidance from Puxatawney Phil on that to whether to go for it on fourth down <laughs> Yeah you know what I I'd rather take Woody the Woodchuck's metrics JR morning coming up Newly passed red flag laws that allow law enforcement to take guns away from people who've been reported as a threat will go into effect later this month on the 13th. Bill Cusick, owner of Action Impact, joins Kevin and Tom to talk about what this means for Michigan gun owners. In the meantime, we've got to talk about this briefly because Michigan is implementing a new red flag, uh, red flag gun law. And Kevin, it uh, starts very, very soon this month on February uh, the 13th. It does. I, I got to tell you, I, you know, when we first started talking about red flag laws, I, I kind of like the idea. I, I like the idea that if you you know somebody who's in a crisis and you're afraid that they're going to do something violent, that uh, um, there's a way to uh, alert somebody and they can go in and they can take the guns away for a period of time until there's a hearing to find out if the person's OK or not. Uh, now that it's going to be here February 13th, I'm terribly frightened for those who have to go and get the guns and how dangerous that will be. And for those whose guns are being taken away and how they could be a danger to themselves or or, or from those who are coming. I, I worry about complaints made for retaliation. Look what we we were talking about, that swatting uh, calls that mm-hmm. have been going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we're going to show up now the door. That, now that it's got to be implemented, I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm worried. Uh, let's bring in Bill Cusick, uh, owner of Action Impact. I'll also an attorney, longtime law enforcement official. Good morning. How are you? No, good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. Uh, can, can you can we start with the criteria for extreme risk protection orders? What what has to, you know, what's it take to actually implement this or to make something uh, take place? Well, first of all, you have to qualify as a person who's eligible to file a extreme risk protection order. That would be uh, law enforcement. That would be medical professionals. Um, you know, family, roommates, things such as that. And then you're going to have to file a petition and demonstrate to a judge that a person has made some statements or did some actions that would be consistent with them wanting to hurt other people or hurt themselves. And then a judge can make a determination whether those firearms should, in fact, be surrendered. And if they're not surrendered, then to be confiscated. And so when a judge does that uh, sometime after uh, February 13th, what is the reality what what is going to what's going to happen out there well uh, kevin i'm sure we know what's going to happen so you know i kind of like you my initial reaction was i feared for law enforcement you're going into apparently a hostile environment you're going into an unwelcome environment uh, perhaps somebody's unstable and now you want to confiscate something that's extremely important to them and it's something they feel they have a constitutional right to possess and you're presumably just supposed to waltz into their house and quickly ascertain how many firearms they have and where they're located. So that in itself would be a pretty difficult job, right? So if a person has one gun, maybe that's easy. If they have five guns, I mean, think how long it would take to search a home. Mm-hmm. It takes hours. I've done it. And it literally take almost all day to search a home. Um, so with those concerns in mind, I've consulted with some law enforcement officers who have taken a position they don't want to do this. They don't think that uh, there's enough protection for them and that there's some instability with this law. I did, however, do some research to see if other states who have had red flag laws, what's the reaction been? And 
the only information I could find comes out of, I think, you know, Florida. And actually, it was a professor who has studied it, and he said, believe it or not, he said there hasn't been any incidents, that uh, law enforcement hasn't been injured. Most people, you can just call them up, and they'll turn in their guns. Whether that's accurate, I don't know. Whether that's somebody that's on uh, the side of a, a particular political aisle, I don't know. Yeah, and whether or so, not they, re- yeah. they turned over all their guns, too. We don't necessarily know that either, do we, unless there's a search. Well, and there's no way to determine that. So, yeah, you know how many handguns a person might own, maybe, if they haven't sold or acquired any illegally. But you have no way to determine how many long guns they, they have, right, because those aren't registered. So that in itself presents a lot of difficulties. Now, I can tell you, in my experience as a police officer, there were times, situations were arise that maybe a gun could have made a volatile situation worse. And we literally would just ask the person, hey, how about we take possession of your guns for a few days? And they always cooperated. <laughs> they always did. So these weren't situations with somebody in crisis. These are usually domestic situations. Okay. So there's that aspect of it. There's the, the danger. Maybe, you know, ironically, it might lead to more gun violence. That doesn't seem to be the case, at least in other states like Florida. What about the due process issue? Because the red flag law now allows a judge to, you know, confiscate a gun from those who are deemed a risk, maybe from some health professional, maybe it's another member of a family or something like that. How, how is it possible to ensure that uh, these do not violate an individual's rights based on almost hearsay? Uh, the due process is going to be a big part of this. Well, it's a, it's a huge process, and I think that was one of the hurdles that uh, they had to jump to get this enacted. So built into this law is allegedly the judge has to find that there's cause to do all this, and he's supposed to examine or she's supposed to examine a number of factors to determine if this is the right course of action. Right? But then I also look at these numbers, Tom, and it's amazing how little it's used. Right? So in Chicago, for instance, I think an entire year only used it four times. So, you know, to me, it's just another law that's been enacted, and it's another law that's not going to reduce any type of violence. And then we're saying that, well, all right, so if I take this person's guns, then they have no other means to kill somebody. They have no other means then to kill themselves because there's nothing built into this law that would provide help for your respondent. Absolutely nothing. All you can do is take his guns, right? Well, you're not confiscating a car. You're not confiscating the knives. You're not confiscating lighters to set the house on fire. So, you know, that's what I kind of find ironic about the whole thing is we'll take the guns yeah, but we'll leave the person. I'm sort of picturing a, a mother and a father who are worried about their kid because he's slipping mentally and uh, he possesses guns and they, they've read something on his, on his, uh, in his journal or something that indicates he's going to go do some uh, mass shooting or something and, and, and they have an ability to call somebody and do something. Um, but in reality, you don't think it's going to work quite like that? No, I don't. And, Kevin, let's look at the poster child case for all this is, is the crumbly kid up in Oxford, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're seeing in a trial all kinds of evidence and all kinds of proof and accusations and journal writings and so forth. And I find it kind of ironic that nobody ever called the police. The police weren't even called that day at school. They had a school resource officer. That officer wasn't even called. So now, you know, I, I just kind of question this. Maybe the next law is going to be 
if you have reason to believe and you don't act, now you're going to yes. be arrested. That was my concern, too. Does this Because you look at that crumbling case, the parents, of course, are going through their own trials uh, separately, respectively, as well. So now that there's a red flag law in the books, do you think that is a possibility? They say, listen, you saw a warning sign. You did not let anybody know about it. Now you're, therefore, going to be held responsible for the crime that individual committed. Well, I don't think they'll ever enact that law. I don't believe that. I mean, certainly you have some civil recourse, but criminal recourse, I don't I don't know. I've never even heard anybody talk about it. You know, my problem is how they seem to promote political campaigns on the heels of tragic incidents. That's what I don't like. I find that personally offensive. So maybe uh, February 13th will be a big nothing. Uh, you said Chicago only had four calls? Yeah, I think I think as time goes on, uh, it's not going to be utilized. I think you also have to look to see where this would be utilized. Now, is it going to be utilized in the suburbs? Is it going to be uh, utilized in the major cities? Um, you know, I really don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, in Chicago, uh, there you. aren't any red flags in Chicago. Maybe it's a totally safe city, and there's that's why there's only four. Maybe that's it's well, actually working. I don't know. Well, Probably well, not. They could throw that out, yeah. but I don't. Uh, you know, they've got other numbers coming in. That's yeah, pretty high. <laughs> Contradict that one. Yeah. <laughs>